Private Lender Podcast, Episode 82. The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Warren Buffett, who said, If you are not willing to own a stock for 10 years, do not even think about owning it for 10 minutes. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Hey, 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 Lender Nation. Welcome to episode 82 of the Private Lender Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and I'd like to thank you for lending me your ear today. That's a really bad pun, and I sort of apologize for that. If you're looking for practical tips and advice on mitigating and eliminating risks with the investment vehicle known as private mortgage lending, then you are in the right place. But if you want to learn from my mistakes so that you can avoid them, then pull up a chair, my friend. This podcast is created for those who are looking to take control of their financial future by doing whatever it takes to create wealth in the marathon of life with old world techniques and values. I would like to create a tribe of lenders across this great land of ours that will disrupt the way we think about money and disrupt the way we teach kids about money and get back to get out of the consumer spending maze, if you will. And I just happen to be sitting on this soapbox over here talking about private money lending. So let's get to it, shall we? In today's episode, I have the distinct pleasure of interviewing the president of Quest Trust Company, Mr. Nathan Long. And speaking of the Quest Trust Company, they are the sponsor of this episode. And we're just a few days away as of the airing of this episode, about 11 days away from their self-directed IRA expo. It's really an extravaganza. Last year was a top-notch event held in Dallas. About 500 attendees came in and attended the two days. This year, it's going to do three days, and they're expecting uh, about 1,000, if not more. And I know tickets are going fast, so if you do want to get your tickets, you can get a 25% discount. Go to privatelenderpodcast.com forward slash expo, E-X-P-O, and there will be a promo code and a link that you can get 25% off your your ticket, your admission, if they still have them. So go check that out. I know they were selling like hotcakes. So back to Nathan Long. He's the president of Quest Trust and has put on a great expo. We're going to talk about that here. And I do want to forewarn you, dear listener, that I had this great interview already mapped out and bullet pointed and all this stuff I was going to talk to Nathan about. And then all that just went out the window and we just ended up just shooting the breeze, so to speak. So let's get down to the brass tacks and get to the interview with Nathan Long. Lender Nation, I'm honored today to have Nathan Long. He's the president and chief mischief officer. Is that it? Is that correct? <laughs> I, yeah, they actually changed me to president. I used to be CEO, and they used to call me uh, chief troublemaker. So. Chief troublemaker. That's it. Well, Nathan, welcome to the Private Lender Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hey, I really appreciate you having me. That's my favorite subject. Oh, yeah. Well, that's and you're a perfect guest. So, quick background: you're going to be the last interview, uh, an episode before the big Quest Expo. So, let's just go ahead and talk about the 800 pound gorilla in the room and what a great event the uh, self directed IRA Expo is. I think that's so cool to hear that. I got to tell you, Keith. A year ago, when the girls came to me and said, hey, we want to hold one of these expos, I told them no. I said, "Uh, I don't, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're not in the expo business. That's not what we do. You know, we help other educators. I don't want to feel like I'm in competition with people that are selling coaching or education. And they just looked at me and said, no, we're doing it. And I said, okay, if you want to do this, then I have one rule. 
everything that you, every ticket you get, every vendor money that you get goes back into the expo. So it's a zero profit point for Quest. And that was my only thing. And I honestly thought, I, 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 and then so many people showed up. Yeah. They're so happy. And I think that just, it's because it kind of got this momentum and the speakers got better and they got so excited. And so then that, you know, more people would come and then they would add another thing or add to this or, you know, they just constantly kept it so exciting right up to the end. I know they had a little app and people were still on that app communicating months afterwards about deals and stuff and making deals on it. It was cool. I'm really proud of them. Yeah. No, they, they did a bang up job last year and I consider myself lucky having had a table, being on a panel and being able to talk. That, that was, was fun. That was, I got to say, it was a lot bigger than I, I expected. And I got a little nervous when I went up on stage. I was like, I can talk about private lending. Oh, there's more people than I... Okay. <laughs> Big deal. All right. Okay. We can all right, switch gears. That's fine. But yeah, it's, it's not also just for private lending and real estate. There are other aspects to you know, a self-directed IRA, but there's obviously heavily geared towards the, uh, the real estate side of things. And I mean, me and Quincy, we've done lending personally for so long. We talk about it. I mean, Quest is ideal in the private lending area. It's just mirrored perfectly. Absolutely. I got to say, you guys hold about 98% of the money that I lend. It goes through Quest just because of the speed and the ease. And I love the fact that I can slowly but surely transfer some of that traditional IRA money into Roth IRA money before the government decides that they're going to get their hands on it. So in case the NSA is listening, yes, this is all over the airwaves. I said the government will take our 401ks one day, but hopefully not while we're alive. So anyway, there's my doomsday speech. I'm sure you have your own opinions on it. I mean, I've heard it from the beginning of time. Since they were invented in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, they're going to take them away. They're going to take them away. And it's kind of political suicide to do it. So though right now, the atmosphere is just the opposite. You have to understand from a political standpoint, IRAs are not much jeopardy. They're going to expand them. Well, why? Because they're doing, like you said, these Roth conversions. That's not necessarily great for America, but it's great for Americans. But what's good for the politicians who are in office now is it creates taxation money for them to spend right now while they're creating tax-free income for Americans in the future, therefore stifling what they're going to receive in the future. So, And I'm glad you explained it that way. That's a very succinct and easy way, but very bipartisan. That's it. You convert now, you get some tax money so the politicians can spend it now. And then you make yourselves you know, better for not having the tax hit later on in life when you, when you need the money. Right. And honestly, you should take advantage of them kind of being stupid right now and, you know, take a look at the tax laws and not be, never be frightened by, oh, this might happen. Yeah, a lot of things might happen, but we should operate inside the rules and organizations as they exist today, you know, with an eye towards the future. Yeah, but let's not be frightened of it. I like that too, because a lot of people say, well, I would love to lend outside of my, or lend in my IRA, but I'm afraid of paying UBIT tax or I'm going to get taxed on it. Like, would you rather have 100% of nothing or 90% of a good deal or whatever that comes out to be? So I agree with you. Yeah, don't be afraid of what could happen. Play within the rules. And you guys do a great job helping with that. And I, and I told Quincy, I mean, the reason I am a private lender is because I started going to this, this place called Quest that had this little triangle room with about 13 seats and a projector. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I started. That was over a decade ago when you guys were getting going. And that was you know, how everything started for me. And listening to your stories and how, you know, what you guys have done with private lending or, or you know, some of the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of your clients. And that's kind of where I want to steer right now. I like gory stories. So it, the sexier and the scarier, the better. I got to tell you, we've done a lot of lending over the years. To qualify being allowed to talk about it, Quincy and myself privately loan money. 
to real estate investors for a long time. In addition to that, we grew up working for Forrest Clark. He was a closing attorney. He's also my cousin. He's also about six feet away from me eating lunch right there in the corner. He's tried to retire a bunch of times, but he doesn't like retirement very much. So he comes up and helps us with Quest as an advisor. Him and his side of the family also loaned for a long time. My mom would lend for a long time. And that's kind of what led us into the Quest many years ago or how we developed it. Then as Quest developed, we're self-directed IRA company. So people use retirement accounts or 401ks to do private assets. Big private asset is buying loans, right? Or creating uh, new loans, if you want to say it that way, either way. But buying the asset or lending money out of your IRA is a, is a big function of that. So we've been able to see literally hundreds of thousands of deals as Quest has grown and people done this and, and through all the state. And then probably finally, my final piece of qualification is my wife is a real estate attorney. Her primary income is drafting documents for lenders. So I get to hear all of her stories when it goes bad from an attorney side of view. We've had a lot of experience in it, but I could tell you it's been really good to us. Nathan, I knew you were brave, but I didn't know you were married to an attorney. That just yeah. takes the case. <laughs> I have an argument. I can tell you that right now. Okay, next subject. <laughs> yeah, next subject, because hopefully she's not watching. But yeah, you guys are the, the, the original, you know, the, the OGs in Houston for as far as private lending is concerned. You, you're the ones that brought self-directed IRAs to the Houston market, the real estate market. And really, I mean, it's you, Quincy, you know, and everyone that's been there for, you know, any length of time, you see them every Saturdays at the RIAs, you see them in the evenings, you guys are putting in the hustle and the effort and making the experience for not only the lender, but the borrowers is, is seamless. Well, the idea is, I mean, obviously we make money when someone borrows and lends at Quest. That's how we get charged a fee was when someone does a transaction. So there's certainly self-preservation to it. But truthfully, Quest is an NT all by itself. It was created because me and Quincy really enjoyed lending as we got into it. We really enjoyed what it did for our family and our wealth building and understanding of it. And now at this point in my life, one of the greatest things about working here at Quest is I hear all the time people explain, wow, this information changed my life. We live a different lifestyle now before and after Quest. So, you know, I wish I would have spent the uh, open an account for a hundred bucks years and years and years ago, you know, or had this information years ago. It's very complimentary. It's a phenomenal way to go to work and earn a living. And I'm very, very blessed to be doing that. Yeah, it took me a few years to actually open the account. I kept going to the free education and whatnot. One of the things I do want to touch on is the aspect that is that Quest puts these education and networking opportunities together all the time, free of charge. And it's, I can't tell you the value of who you meet there, and not just from a vendor's perspective, but you know, other borrowers, other realtors, or I'm sorry, other real estate investors and lenders. And I'd like for you to, to talk about the value of a network when building your, your team as a lender. I think that's really important. And I think it's also important if you're a real estate investor, you need to understand that you've got to separate a little bit out your duties and obligations and things that you need to do. You should always be looking for two things if you're a real estate investor, in my opinion, deals of money, deals of money. But there's a dramatic difference between those two things. With a deal, as soon as you get a deal under contract, what do you better do? I say you better go get another one. <laughs> because when you get done doing that deal, you'll be unemployed unless you have one in the shoe, right? And what are the skills that get you a good deal? You've got to negotiate good. You've got to get the best bargain on contractors and supplies and the house itself and blah, 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 right? 
when you find a private money lender, when you have somebody that's willing to lend you that money secured by real estate and is used to doing that, or you're getting them used to doing that, and they loan you money, when the deal's done, what are they going to do again? They're going to put that money back to work. Hey, man, that worked out pretty well. Can you do that again? Oh, well, I might have a little money I didn't tell you about the first time, right? You know what I mean? There's always more money. There's always more money on the second deal than there was on the first. For, you know, whether it was mom had some or my brother or something, there's always more. And so you almost got to treat those things completely different. Finding a lender is building a relationship, you know, and finding a deal is a different set. So that's why sometimes husband's wife works really well. You have one that's developing relationships and one that's, you know, finding deals. But you got to make sure that you don't grind on your lender, especially the first time that you see it. As a matter of fact, I would say the best way to do it, lender, is maybe be generous a little bit on the first time that you meet them, and then you squeeze them down once you get, once they get to, to you. And I know I have borrowers that do that to me. Oh man, I, I used to pay that money all the time, Nathan. You know, but I've got a lot more borrowers and a little bit more things. I got a lot more equity. I'm paying a little bit less interest now. Do you know what I do? Do you know what I do, Keith? Uh, I can let that money sit around or uh, every time. It's the truth. It's me. I even know better. You know. <laughs> you see it coming and you're like, I'd rather have my money working for me. I'd rather have money working and, and I like this guy. He's funny and we've been doing this a long time. I, I want to keep doing it. So it's about developing those relationships and we figure that out. And of course, we always have to be a neutral third party. So the best thing to do is to just have people come and meet each other. And um, honestly, when my clients have cash sitting in their accounts and feel like they need to go find an investment, where they go is to those meetings. It doesn't hurt that Quest usually has a bar there as well. Yes, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. And I don't think it's coffee. No, it's not. In fact, I can, I can attest to the, the quality of the merchandise behind the bar. But yeah, no, it's, you guys do a, a bang up job. When I was talking to Quincy, I was talking about Fright Night. And I also, I alluded to a story that you told long time ago, somebody in a class stood up and said, you know, what asset class does your most successful Quest client deal in? And you, without hesitation, just said, oh, horse semen. And uh, <laughs> just shout out the story about how this guy works around horses. He purchased, you know, the feedstock, so to speak, and then parsed it out to various farms and was, from what I understand, his retirement is looking much, much brighter. Yeah. I mean, if you invest in things that you know and understand, you'll do better. And that's the, I think the problem with most people's investing is they're just like buying this blanket mutual fund or, or they're doing these very archaic type of financial planning that work well for your great grandfather, you know, but this is different times. There's a lot of different things. And I think you have to be more actively involved if you want to have any type of reasonable returns from your retirement. Therefore, I mean, there is a good field for self-direction. doesn't mean that everybody should self-direct their IRAs, honestly, or buy notes. I mean, you have to have some knowledge, you have to have some self-responsibility. And when it goes wrong, you better be able to take some action and know what to do. If that's not you, you should probably stay out of the field. But like I said, golly gee whiz, it's just been so good to my family and building wealth. And for so many people, I got to say that there's more people that it's better for than the opposite if they just had a little bit of education and know what to do. I've been inspired by Quest to, to create this podcast to help those people go from, okay, I've got all this training at Quest. How do I make that? Because at some point, you got to make a leap. You know, if you're going to be a landlord, at some point, you got to buy a house. You got to make that leap into it. You know, if you're going to be a flipper, you got to go get something under contract. You, know, you, you need to go to a closing. So that's kind of where I came in because it, that leap is not, not very wide. It's not the huge chasm that you see before you. Once you get to the other side, you look back and it's like, oh, really? Just a little bump in the road that I had to step over. It's no big deal. And then you just build your confidence from there. So let's talk about confidence. Lending has been great for you and your family. What are, give me some examples 
of where it wasn't for the person. Like it, things went bad. Let's just put it this way. The person probably shouldn't have been a lender, didn't do their due diligence. Kind of give us a little. Uh, oh, I mean, that, I've been in that category plenty of times before. Again, like Nathan, how'd you get so smart? We did a lot of dumb things. <laughs> and I always have these rules. If you hear me talk about lending, I think each one of those rules came with a painful story. I don't learn my lessons easily. I think one of the best lessons I learned is you really better understand what to do in the event that you do have to default. I remember that we did a loan to, oh, this couple, they were so cute. They were dancers. Like, you know, dance, they dance. That's the dancers. And they were from Australia and they had a cute accent. They had this great business plan. They found this property in North Houston. They had some money themselves, but because they were foreign born, they couldn't borrow to buy purchase property here. And so private money made sense. And what they did is they bought this odd shaped piece of property. It had a little rundown house on it, but it was pretty big, but it was uh, right there at the very north part off of 45 towards the woodlands. And they said, we're going to do, we'll fix up the little house. We'll live in it. And we're going to get these modular houses that are completely stripped out, nothing in them. And we're going to put them in there and we're going to make luxury dog kennels out. I've got the money for the houses. You just help me loan the money for the land. I'll do, we'll do all the fix up. Okay, that sounds good. Lots of equity, paid them. Years go by, they make the payments. They say, we, our business is growing. We're very popular, this idea of these luxury dog kennels, and we want to put some more. We need a larger loan. Would you loan us some more? They're paying us like 12% interest. Sure, property's gone up in value. Everything's great. They're deported to Australia for not payment of taxes in Australia. More complicated than that is the lenders that I put on here, much to me, I had grouped a whole bunch of people together as lenders in order to make the different loans, different members of my family and some other things. In the meantime, some one of those members had passed on and the stuff had inherited over to other people in the family. Unfortunately, the way the deal was structured, those people were disqualified from each other and I had a problem there. But I guess the biggest or the, the moral of the story is as this thing unwound, it got more and more and more complicated. And eventually what we ended up doing is selling the property back to the people that were managing the dog kennel. And there's, to this day, I'm still getting payments on a dog kennel almost 12 years later. In other words, I really loved the loan. There was lots of equity in there. Uh, I was getting a great interest rate, but I forgot a very important lesson. Don't loan on something you don't want to own. And I really didn't want to own a dog kennel. You know, I love dogs. I got four of them. But <laughs> owning a dog kills a different thing, right? I, mine's right here. He's my winery dog just laying right here in front of me. Love him. Don't want anything to do with the kennel. Yeah. End result, we actually have done pretty well over the years. Matter of fact, I just put a check into my personal account this afternoon for $280, one of the payments, small payments in my, uh, I have a small portion outside of my IRA. So it worked out really well. And in, in the end, we didn't lose any money. But that was one of my tough ones to learn is that, that's a successful mistake. Yeah. Yeah. It ended up being, but it took years. Like I didn't, I, I would have, if you would have told me, I'm, I've, I think the original investment was 13 years ago, Keith. Oh, wow. Still getting that mailbox money, aren't you? No, I'm getting mailbox money. I'm not, I'm not too worried about it now. But I could think of other individuals, if they tie up their money too long, maybe they're approaching retirement age where they actually might need that. That could be devastating in certain types of situations. No, absolutely. That's one of the things we said, you know, private lending is not for everyone. Self-direction is not for everyone totally agree because it's going to depend on your circumstances. If you need some money that's liquid, you know, in chunks, then you probably don't want to tie up your money into a deed of trust for months, years. Yeah. For now, I, I'll do that. I, I do one year lending. 
me personally, I do one year lending. I don't do points right now just because the market's not calling for it. There's so much private money out there. I think there's probably more private money that I've ever seen out there. So that's driving the rates down on things. Person pays for my note deed of trust to be drafted up, you know, and off, off we go at our interest rate. But now what I do is just three bedroom, two bath houses. I know what to do with that. You know what I mean? If I have to foreclose on a two one or a three bedroom house or a four, you know, like just not something that's giant or really ratty, just something in between there. I can dump it on the market. I could rent it. I could owner finance it, whatever. I have choices. That's one of the beauties of what I like about private mortgage lending is the choices that you have. The insurance policies that other people pay for that are put in place to protect your money. I can't think of any other asset class out there that comes near it. Well, you require it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a non-negotiable. It's part of it. You know, So you got title insurance, you got your property insurance, hazard insurance. And now after Harvey, I require anyone in, in, I want national flood insurance. It's cheap. If $400 is going to kill your deal, I don't want to lend on it. I had a conversation with, with somebody who's a pretty big borrower. And he's like, well, I like to just draft my own note and deed of trust. And, you know, I put things in there to protect me, you know, and that's why we're going to, you know, use my note and deed of trust rather than attorney. And it's, you know, it's just kind of expensive using those outside attorneys to draft notes and deed of trust. So first of all, that's really horrible advice because I know for a fact it's all good until it goes bad. And you want, when it goes bad, you want to have the right paperwork and you should have an attorney drafted up. But then I start to think, I said, what are you protecting yourself from? Because if it's a contract between a lender and a borrower, I'm the lender. I kind of fulfilled my contract the moment I handed you my pile of cash. So all the protections are for me <laughs> and we're going to use my attorney. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how it's going to work. And as a lender, I think you have to be prepared to say that to people. And as a borrower, I think that you should be trying to protect their interest the best you can. Going back to how I opened up that this conversation is it always goes back to one thing. As a borrower, you're always opening that relationship up so that you can build on it. No, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, that's one of the things I hate is, and I don't hate, I kind of laugh at it now, but as soon as someone finds out I'm a private lender, what are your terms? What are your terms? I've got this deal. I'm, I don't know you. I don't even go down that conversation. Yeah. I say, look, everything's on a case by case basis, person by person basis. You know, like you, I like the three bedroom, two bath brick home and a master plan community because I know the comps are going to be actual comps. But as soon as someone's talking to me about interest rates or whatever, and they haven't talked to me about what's really important to me first, which is security. You know, what's the house? What are you going to do with it? Who are you? Do you have a reputation of actually getting this stuff done? those type of things. What I've gleaned from your education is I look at three things when it comes to underwriting a loan. Is that person, number one, are they going to cut their own throat to pay me back? Because if they do, I'll loan to them again. If they're going to say, oh, well, you know, way it goes, I, I got an education and you paid for it. Yeah, no, 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 that's not who I want to loan to. You know, I want to I make sure. So I look at them. I also want to look at their process to make sure that if they're a landlord, they're landlording. If they're a flipper, house rehabber, they're doing that. They're not going, you know, I'm, I've been, I've flipped 30 properties. Let's go develop this apartment complex. Wait a minute. No, that's what I, and then I look at that property and say, look, okay, like you said earlier, is this something I would be comfortable owning? I don't have to live in it, but do I want to own it? Do I know what to do with it? Yeah. Can I operate it? Can I dispose of it? What can I do? And that is such a good lesson that you've come up with because it's, hell, I've bought properties I didn't want to have, <laughs> let, alone, let alone loan on them. So, you know, it, it happens from time to time. You know, we're human. No, I mean, it does. Even under the best circumstances, I've had lenders die or, or get really sick. It wasn't like a, a character default as to why I had to foreclose on the person. You know, they're dead. And there's not much they can do to help that. You I know? say you're not going to hurt their feelings at that right. point. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So, how about some of um, 
Give me a home run story of uh, just the perfect storm of. I, I used to love, and I know, I honestly, I don't do this anymore. So I used to love equity appreciation loans where I'd find a young investor and I'd be like, okay, dude, I'll put up all the money. You do all the work or we'll split her down the road. But I would treat it like a loan. I would lend them the money and then the interest rate would be an equity split. And I had a grumpy old guy who could never borrow money because he was just grumpy. You know, like nobody liked him, but I knew something. I knew this guy swung a good hammer. Like he did a nice rehab and he was a really honest, you know, old fart. He would come to, to real estate events, but nobody wanted to talk to him type of thing, right? Because he was just that grumpy. But I'd seen some of those rehabs he did, so pretty good. I, I lent him money. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll lend you the money, 8%, and we split it when we sell it. We said, okay, because I want to hold on to these for a year or two until they come to value and rent them in the meantime. I did that. And I got 8% for two years. When he sold that property, I had originally loaned him $42,000. He fixed it up. He ended up putting a little bit of money into it that I didn't lend him or I loaned him a little bit later. But the bottom line is when he was able to sell the property, we sold it for $262,000. So we were both pretty happy on that. So I got 8% interest for about two and a half years. And then I split, you know, about $140,000, $150,000 profit. And we did some repairs. We had to put another well in or something like that whenever we went to sell it. So it worked out really well. Yeah, I'd say so. I honestly don't recommend doing those if you go to my lending classes now, because I've had so many of those equity appreciation loans go bad. And now that I understand a little bit more about legal contracts and, and all this stuff, I'm not a real big proponent of for most people. I think they're good for like that story. In other words, one of the things about this guy is honestly, if it came down to something, I just knew I could figure out how to fix it with the guy. We could just talk and we would just talk it through. And, and I knew this because I did another deal that was similar and we bought a property and it had a well on it and the well ended up being drilled wrong and was actually sitting on someone else's land. And so he had a major problem with this particular property and we were just able to talk through it and, you know, as a lender or borrower, figure it out and work through it. So now you've opened that can of worms because having been an oil field specialist doing directional drilling and, you know, that's your job if you mess up. So I'm curious, let's back up on this. There's a water well. They drilled a well without a survey. Ooh, okay. I got Bubba out there with his backhoe or whatever. Yeah. It's my cousin Johnny's company. They'll do a good job. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. All right. So that I could see that. So yeah, you're going to have to put some new, new well in there. We ended up buying the well from the neighbor. Oh, did you? Okay. That we installed. That's a hell of a racket. You buy the well from the neighbor that you paid to install. I, I like that. You're laughing because these are, like you said, these are the mistakes that, and this is what I love talking about. This is why I have this podcast. And this is a pretty experienced investor. It actually happened to, you know, I mean, not super experienced, but it's, he was experienced enough that we, you know, and I was an experienced lender. We both probably should have known better. Did he call you and say, hey, we have a problem? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the whole thing. That's the amazing thing is the investors who talk to me are never have a problem. And most lenders are like that. It's the ones that hide whenever you're, you're late or can't make a payment or act like it. Oh, it was a mistake. No, if you're having some money, let, let's talk that. Here was something that happened to me is I have a particular lender that I loan to because he pays me back really well. He actually likes to buy houses, you know, fix them up and sell them sometimes, but he likes to hold on to them that he can. And, and what he'll do is, is buy as many as he can and continue to hold on to them until he can take them out with a big balloon note. So I might have 10 or 15 loans out to him at one time. And all these properties were in Galveston County. Down on the coast. Down on the coast. And the hurricane hit, you know. And me and my family looked at it and we said, we're exposed to 27 hurricane hit properties as a lender. Family in general, everybody, you know, mom, our 401k here at work. So I started calling my lenders up and I said, hey guys, do you need some time? 
to get this stuff fixed. And it was amazing that each one of them said, thank you very much for the offer, Nathan, but you're my lender and I will pay you no matter what happens. And I never lost a dime. No flood insurance, Keith. A lot of them didn't have flood insurance. A lot of them were not worth what I owed on owed on them after the hurricane. Even if they weren't totally damaged, just the value of the properties had dropped in that area. You know what I mean? At that time, the value of the lender meant everything in the world. I can't stress to people enough is communication. Talk to people. Send an email. Admit it. Hey, I'm in the pickle, right? You know, hey. We get it. Like, honestly, we honestly most of the time do. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, I had to cancel one of my, one of my coaching classes because, you know, I've got 80-year-old parents, you know, and things happen. You know, and I got to go, I got to go take care of some things from time to time. Same thing happens to investors. Mother nature happens. Things like Ike and Harvey come along, you know, there's earthquakes, there's tornado, there's stuff happens. Just let us know about it. That's why I keep telling people, just let me know. Give me an idea of what your plan is. Don't be quiet. And then, you know, like one friend of mine waited, I, you know, I had to find out the hard way that, wait a minute, the house I owe money on is getting foreclosed. I mean, I loaned money to this house in a second and it's getting foreclosed. I was not happy. <laughs> yeah, because you get wiped out there. I did. I did. But no, you know, it would have been better if I just had a little phone call, a little heads up a few months ago. Hey, I'm in arrears with the first guy. Right. Then you could have maybe done something with it. Yeah, we could have done something. But when I find out four days before a foreclosure and I call the attorney and he's like, yeah, okay, give me 60 grand and we'll call it even. I'm like, yeah, no, 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 no. Well, that leads to another one of my rules, I would say, is I only put myself in a second position in Texas, I should say, because this is state specific, a second position if I know the first. In other words, the lender is Forrest, my cousin or something like that. You know, he's on first. I need a little bit more rehab money and there's a lot of equity. No problem. Maybe the second's the easiest way to go. I, I know all the parties and I can somehow solve the problem. I know how to solve the problem. If the first is defaulted on, I have enough money to go in and pay off that first or take it over some way. Other than that, I would, I don't do seconds for that reason. Other than that exception, you know, I tell people don't do seconds, especially starting off because it is a, it's a different risk profile. And in some cases I will, if I have an agreement from the first lender that as soon as it goes into arrears, I can step in and start making the payments and take over until I can dispose of the property. Right. Like if you know who's on first, right? You know who's on first, right? Exactly. Or if somebody has like say a rental house and they want to put a, a second lien on it to fix it up, say hurricane damage or something. If they will cross collateralize another property that, where I do have a first. Oh, that's a great point, man. I could talk a long time about cross collateralizing. Yeah, as long as I have a first on something and there's a trigger in my documentation that if they don't make a payment, I can foreclose on that other property, then I'm okay with the second. But again, that's a little bit more advanced. But since you got excited on cross collateralization, let's dive into that a little bit. So, I mean, I just think it's a cool way that to solve a problem a lot of times as a lender. Go back to my situation. I've got a lender, you know, that I give one-year notes to, but borrower, you got a borrower. Borrower, I'm sorry. I've got a large exposure now to him and all these properties. And some of the properties gone up in value. Some of them may not have. Some of them he's in, in flux and repair. He's got his own construction company. And I've got a lot of exposure. So what I ask now is when I redrafted those notes at a certain point, I said it's time for us to cross collateralize. In other words, if I foreclose on this property and because of a default and there's still a judgment left over, I can then go after another property and go after another property and go after another property until I'm whole. So basically what it allows me to do is to be collateralized by all the properties that I've lended to all the loans. It, it makes them cross collateralized. Or uh, like for you, a simpler version of that is like you said, uh, I need some more equity. I've got a couple of properties. 
I got this first note. What can I do? I can add some collateral from another piece of note. It's just a nice tool in the toolbox if you know how to use it for both the borrower and the lender. Absolutely. It is. The only thing I don't cross collateralize are homesteads where people live themselves. I don't live in the homesteads. Yeah, exactly. It, it's Well, I, I do with the, the owner finance model if it's been through the RMLO. I will provide oftentimes. So does Quincy. Quincy will do that. He's common on that. He likes the long-term loans because he likes to do the buying the front end of the loan, selling the back end or, or working the payment spread. You know, And that, that really only works on, well with long-term amortized loans. Yeah, exactly. But it's um. But yeah, no, no homesteads. I don't want your house where you live. I don't. I don't want anyone telling their wife that I'm the big bad guy that's going to make them leave. So don't mess with the homesteads. Generally speaking, or especially in a cross collateralization aspect of it. But yeah, if somebody has property that's owned free and clear, and look, it doesn't have to be real estate. It can be boats, cars, RVs, you know, anything with title, basically that you can collateralize and take as um well as collateral. You know, if this is the beauty. This is creative financing. I took a motorcycle once for back payments on a loan. What kind of motorcycle? It was a Honda 125 Street and Trail, red and white. Yeah. Had 62 miles on it. Oh. Now is it getting better? I like your style. <laughs> I, I didn't drive it. I just took it to the... <laughs> took it to the lot, got cat, hawked it and got your money back. That's funny. Start wrapping it down a little bit here, but we touched on a lot of a lot of great topics. Obviously, you guys will, will have to get sorry for being all over the place, Keith. No, it's it's not a problem at all. But this is just an idea of what people can expect with the at the expo, the type of knowledge, the type of stories, the type of education that's going to be coming. Again, I, this is my second year. I'm going to have my table. I'm thank you guys for accepting my application again. Appreciate oh, that. Have you? Yeah, no, I, lo- I love you guys. And oh, I want to put this out there. I have. I think he's going to be there. I'm challenging Scott Carson to a wrestling match live in front of everybody. We'll see if he actually wants to partake in it. But uh, Keith, really, I want some type of blood sport. I think that's. I'm just saying he's a big boy, Keith. It was, yeah, I, I, I know, but I've got some leverage. You know, I've got some. I studied. I watched. Uh, I grew up with Mid South Wrestling. You know, I've got my two by fours, and uh, you know, I can do my hacksaw, Jim Duggan. You know, I can. <laughs> Could be a good expo. That's, you know, that's I'm saying, I can say. As I said, a little bit of blood sport, you know, but I really am looking forward to you guys at seeing you guys there. And we're going to try to put a little happy hour together at the Royal Sinesta Access Bar the night before Thursday. After everyone sets up their booths, we're going to um, we're going to advertise a little meetup. So for everyone who comes into the conference and some of the local investors, we can uh, hopefully, you know, mingle. I heard about that. I'll be there for that. Right. I, I definitely will be. We'll see what type of bottle I can reserve, but. But Nathan, thank you so much. Appreciate the stories and your time. I appreciate all you doing. I go, I want to take a minute and tell you that that I like the guys that are getting the right message out. That are talking about the things that are real. That talk about the things that are hard as well as the things that work well. You know, providing a good education, doing good contacts. You're doing good stuff and helping a lot of people. And we appreciate you, guys. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. That's what it's all about. I saw a bit of a need, and nobody. You know, you guys are limited. I'm way limited. Yeah. By your rules, but no one is. I can go up, stand up in front of somebody, and say I wouldn't make that deal if I, I wouldn't you. do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, cool, my friend. Looking forward to seeing it at the end of August. Oh, I guess we should announce the Quest Expo. What are the specifics, the dates, and everything? August twenty third through the twenty fifth. Thank you, Keith. I can tell Nathan's like, oh, it's on my calendar. Uh, <laughs> so. I swear to God, I mean, I don't know. I have a personal assistant, and she tells me everything I'm doing. I have no control of my life at all. <laughs> that's, that's that's where I want to be. Schedule everything out and just run with the. With the you know, think so, but they really make you work hard, Keith. <laughs> Not too afraid of that, but anyway. All right, so I'll uh, 
I'll see you in your daily planner and at the expo in August. And uh, I, I do appreciate the kind words as well, man. It means a lot. I appreciate you guys. Look on our line. You can go to questexpo.com or just questtrustcompany.com. There's information there. Buy your tickets now. They will sell out. Oh, the uh, as of today, uh, as we're recording, the VIPs are already sold out. I got the email. Sold out. VIPs yeah. are sold out. And you can go to the show notes page or Private Lender Podcast. I had to think of my own show for a second there. But you can go to privatelenderpodcast.com forward slash expo. You can get your link to your ticket and a promo code for 25% off the already low price. I mean, there you go. Go to his site. You can get 25% off. Yeah. 150 bucks for three days of just, I think something that Warren Buffett would approve of. And if you're in a different city or something, that's even better. These type of things that make sense to get up, leave your house and completely expose yourself for three days. Everybody should do that several times a year. Everybody. I agree. And there's no selling. It's all just information, education, and uh, hopefully a few laughs. <laughs> Keith, once again, I really appreciate it. All right. It, Take care, Nathan. Bye now. We'll see you later. And there you have it, ladies and gents. I want to thank Nathan Long for coming on the show today and uh, shooting the breeze with me. I had a lot of fun, as you could probably tell. For more information about Nathan or the, his company, the Quest Trust Company, and the Self-Directed IRA Expo, you can go to the show notes page at privatelenderpodcast.com. And this is episode 82. And I just want to say as I come to sign off that this podcast is free, but I do ask that you pay a small price with your time. And that is to leave a rating review over at iTunes. Even if you're on a, a Google, a Droid, or some other podcast platform, iTunes is still the prime mover in a lot of that rankings and whatnot. And so the more comments and ratings I get, the more this gets into the in front of other people who can then hopefully learn from my mistakes. So please spread the word out with a rating review at iTunes. Also, please connect with me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Bigger Pockets. And links to all those channels can be found at theprivatelenderpodcast.com. I want to thank you for listening again today. And I also want to thank everyone who keeps reaching out and sending me emails. I really do appreciate all the feedback. So please keep doing it. And besides good health and self-awareness, I wish you all safe and prosperous private lending. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.